Welcome to our Soul Food Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Princeton, West Virginia. Please stand when you get that. John 1, verse 42. The Bible says, He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas which is translated Peter. The next day he purposed to go into Galilee, and he found Philip, and Jesus said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida of the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You'll see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, you will see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Father, we pray you'd bless your word today. I pray that you would anoint these lips of clay and let your word go forth and work in every heart that is present here. We ask in your name. Amen. Thank you. may be seated. According to court records filed in Allegheny County, Pennsylvania, 44-year-old Gary Matthews petitioned the court to have his name legally changed to Boomer the Dog. In his petition, Mr. Matthews stated, I've been known as Boomer the Dog by friends in the community for more than 20 years. I just want to bring my legal name in line with that. Judge Ronald Foligno denied Mr. Matthews' name change request, arguing that it would cause too much confusion. Judge Foligno's decision included the following example. Imagine Mr. Matthews witnesses a serious automobile accident and calls 911. The dispatcher queries as to the caller's identity, and the caller responds, This is Boomer the dog. The judge continued, it is not a stretch to imagine the telephone dispatcher concluding that the call is a prank and therefore refusing to send an emergency medical response. Therefore, I'm denying the petitioner's request. The judge concluded his memorandum by saying, although the petitioner apparently wishes it were otherwise, the simple fact remains that he is not a dog. Now, we don't think much of names in our culture, but to have your name changed in biblical times was a really big deal. This morning, Jesus is going to give one man a new name, and with the other man, he's going to use a play on words of another name 
to make a powerful point. We pick back up in verse 42. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. The Bible said, Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. Here's what I want us to see. Jesus first sees him as he is. And he says, You are Simon. Now, the New Testament reveals that Simon was impetuous and unstable. You will remember at one point he denied Jesus three separate times. But at the same time, Jesus regards him not as he is, but as he shall one day become. He shall be called Cephas or Peter. Jesus changed his name from Simon to Peter, which basically means he says, you are currently unstable but one day you're going to be a rock. And Simon's encounter with Jesus changed his entire life. And it took a great deal of work for Jesus to transform weak Simon into a rock, but he did do it. Peter was told, right now you are this, but one day you will be that. Jesus saw the potential in people. I once heard a quote that fits appropriately at this point. Anybody can count the number of apples on a tree, but only a rare and wonderful person can count the trees in an apple. Jesus had the ability to count the trees in an apple. When Jesus saw Simon, he saw a diamond in the rough who became one of the leaders of the early church. Now, This should be a great encouragement to all of us who trust Christ, because that same experience is repeated over and over again. We come to the Lord just as we are. He knows all about us, both our good and our bad qualities. But he sees us not as we are, but as what we can become if we allow him to control our lives. God not only looks at our past or our present, he also looks at our potential. This is how he sees you. You know, we can run the danger of looking at ourselves and we see all the flaws and the weaknesses and then we determine there's no way that God could ever possibly use me. Whenever I feel that way, I always think about the Hebrews chapter 11 Hall of Faith. In that chapter, we are given a list of people that God commended for their faith. But when you read it, some of them sound like they belong more on a police blotter than a church bulletin. The men and women we read about are not there because they were great people, but because they had faith in a great God. Now consider them and others mentioned in the Bible. Abraham is called the father of faith, and yet two different times he lied about Sarah being his wife because he had, well, a lack of faith. Their son Isaac did the same thing. Sarah laughed at God's promise of a child being born, and then she denied that she laughed. Isaac's son Jacob lied, connived, and manipulated. What about Samson, the undisputed UFC champion of the Old Testament? Samson expresses exactly zero faith in the judge's narrative. Why? He's too busy chasing girls and sucking down Mad Dog 2020. And even at the dramatic conclusion of his life, his prayer to God is motivated by a desire of personal revenge against the Philistines. Gideon was timid and afraid, and Rahab was a prostitute. 
Now, why would I bring that up? It's just a good reminder of the sin that can reside in us all and the fact that there are no perfect saints. Not Noah who got drunk. Not Moses who got mad and struck the rock. Not David who sinned with Bathsheba. Not Elijah who lost his faith under the threat of Jezebel. Not Peter who craved into the peer pressure of Galatians 2 to the Judaizers. No saint is perfect. Although my wife is close. Unless she is hungry. Because she can become really grumpy when she is hungry. Yet despite all their many failings, God accomplished great things in their lives. Why? Because of their connection with God. In the New Testament vernacular, we would call that being connected to the vine. Now in the same way, God calls us to have great faith in him. There is hope for us not because of who we are, but because of who God is. When we think about the people listening to Hebrews 11 Hall of Faith, we might wonder what would have happened if they would have trusted God even more. But this doesn't go far enough. The better question is, what would happen if we trusted God more? Verse 43, please. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Just come and see. Nathanael just scoffs and says, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? He may have laughed at his own joke, but I don't think that Philip laughed. Philip just said, come and see. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Before I met Christ, you could just replace the word Nazareth with Bill Scott, and that described my life also. I'm sure there were plenty of people who doubted if any good thing could have ever came out of me. But off the beaten path, Nazareth was forgotten and forsaken economically, unimportant militarily, and insignificant politically. Basically, it was a hick town. It would be like someone saying today, can anything good come out of cucumber? Hope Chris Vanover doesn't listen to this message because that's where he's from. And being from West Virginia, we all know sometimes people from some other parts of the country do not think too highly of us here in West Virginia. They say the only thing good to come out of the hills is moonshine, bluegrass, coon dogs, and people who are none too bright. Nathaniel, however, was referring to more than merely the isolation of Nazareth. As a student of Scripture, he knew the promise of Micah 5.2, which stated the Messiah would not come from Nazareth, but from Bethlehem. And as a quick aside, it's sometimes more difficult to preach to a religious audience. Matthew 22.14 says, Many are called, but few are chosen. But with religious people, you could sometimes change that to many are cold and a few are frozen. So Philip gives a classic reply of saying, come and see. Philip didn't say, hey, you're right. Has anything ever came out of Nazareth that was any good? I mean, even the rock band wasn't all that great. If you got that, you're old. 
And so even though Nathaniel has raised this question, it doesn't shake Philip at all. Why? Because Philip had tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And even though at this point he couldn't exactly explain its whole answer theologically, Philip knows by experience that Jesus is the one. Sometimes the best thing to do to those who doubt your faith is simply to say, come and see. At this point in my walk, I'm not thrown off course very easily in my faith because our faith is a rational faith. It can withstand any argument and every situation. There are times, however, when someone like Nathaniel with more clever arguments or a keener intellect than I has challenged my faith. But like Nathaniel, all these people have been wrong in their assessment. You see, what neither Nathaniel nor Philip knew was that Jesus was not born in Nazareth, but in Bethlehem, just as the prophecy predicted. We know the story now, but they didn't. I think in challenging situations, the best thing to do is follow Philip's lead. Look those who question you about your faith in their eye and say, I may not be able to answer your question right now, but come and see. Come to church with me on Sunday and just watch what the Lord is doing in people's lives. Come and see for yourself. And to Nathaniel's defense, even though he had questions and doubts, he still was willing to come and see. Look at verse 47. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathaniel said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. A beautiful picture here is that the name Nathanael means gift of God, and right now he is meeting the ultimate gift of God. Jesus tells him, Behold an Israelite in whom there is no deceit or guile. Now, Nathaniel is way more spiritual than I am. Because if the Lord had said to me, your name is Bill in which there is no deceit, I would have said, thanks, Lord. What else have you noticed about me? In verse 48, Nathaniel says, how do you know me? Now, I don't think he's just saying, how do you know my character? Because he was pondering on something which we will address in a minute. Now, watch this. Jesus is going to say something to him in verse 48. It is going to evoke verse 49 where Nathaniel says, You are divine. You are the Son of God. Now what is it that any one person could say to you that a few minutes earlier you questioned that could any good thing possibly come out of, and now you say to them, You are God in the flesh. Now I can imagine Philip found Nathaniel sitting under the tree praying and pouring out his heart to God over some deeply personal matters. Nobody else saw him or heard the secrets of his heart, but Jesus saw him there and he heard his prayer. Suddenly, Nathaniel's smug smile disappears. His eyes grow wide with amazement. He realizes this is no mere man that I'm talking to. Why do Jesus' words affect Nathaniel so powerfully? Scripture doesn't spell it out, but I do think we can guess. Now, the fig trees have leaves that are broad for shade. And it's a good thing they're broad because people had to cover themselves up with them in the Garden of Eden. Now, the rabbis of that time would have their students sit under the fig tree because it was the national symbol of Israel. 
This also would have been bad for my wife because she absolutely loves figs. If she would have been alive, then she would have been a great Bible student who weighed 400 pounds. But it would not surprise me at all if at that time he was studying Genesis chapter 28 because Jesus is going to make mention of that. Now, what is Genesis 28? It's the story of Jacob. This leads us right into verse 50. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. Jesus is like, if that impressed you, what do you see the next three years? It's going to be fabulous. Verse 51, he said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. What I didn't tell you was back in verse 47 where Jesus told Nathanael, Behold an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. The word translated deceit is the word Jacob in the Septuagint. So it would be literally translated, Behold an Israelite in whom there is no Jacob. I also find it compelling that in the Old Testament the nickname for Israel would often be Jacob. This is why I think Jesus says this to Nathanael. This is only conjecture. But I think Jesus first says Nathanael has no deceit or Jacob. And then he reminds him of the story of the angels ascending and descending upon the ladder. This is what I think blew Nathanael's mind and caused him to reply, You are the Son of God. First Jesus tells him he saw him under the fig tree. And now I think he tells him exactly what he was studying under the fig tree. Maybe Jesus says, think back to what you were studying, Nathaniel. The latter you were reading about is me. I am the stairway between heaven and earth. I am the only way to eternity. Now once again, that is just conjecture, but I do think it seems possible given the text. I personally think Jesus chose this word very carefully, and I'll tell you why. But before I do, a little background. You remember Jacob. He was one of the sons of Isaac and Rebekah. Now his brother was Esau, and he was a hairy man. He was a hairy man who liked to hunt. Think of a tobacco-chewing Chewbacca carrying an assault rifle. Now, Jacob was more refined. He liked to stay inside and knit while watching the cooking channel. And this may be unfair, but whenever I think of Jacob, Richard Simmons always pops into my mind. But Jacob was tricky. He tricked his brother Esau out of his birthright and his blessing, and then he tricked his uncle Laban out of the better part of his goods. But now he's on, his run, on the run. He knows that his brother has vowed to kill him for all this deceit. Jacob 28, Jacob, Genesis 28.10 says, Then Jacob departed from Beersheba and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and spent the night there. Because the sun had set, and he took one of the stones of the place and put it under his head and lay down in that place. So in Genesis chapter 28, we are told that Jacob, exhausted from his running, grabbed a rock and used it for his pillow. They say the softest pillow is a good conscience. Maybe that's why Jacob used a rock. He knew who he was. But as he slept, he saw a ladder extending from the heavens to the earth with angels ascending and descending upon it. Jacob awakes from his dream now and he looks around. He sees the same rocks, 
the same hills, the same plains. Nothing has changed, and yet everything has changed. Everything has changed so much, in fact, that Jacob is led to say, Surely the Lord was in this place, and I didn't know it. God is here, and I did not know it. Why wouldn't Jacob know this? Because of his circumstances. He knew he was nothing but a conniver, hiding out in a seemingly God-forsaken rocky region. That may be your story this morning. You may feel like you're stuck in a rocky situation, a rocky marriage, rocky health finances, or a situation on a rocky road. But if you are his child, God would say to you today, I'm with you in this place, even though you may not know it. What can separate us from the love of God? Romans 8 says, Neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature. Nothing can separate us. Why? Because there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no separation because there is no condemnation. Why is there no condemnation? Because Jesus Christ, our champion, our Lord, took all the stuff that would separate us from the Father. And that includes the stuff we did last year, the stuff we're doing today, and even the stuff we will do in the future. He paid for it all. So if you find yourself in a rocky situation, you have a choice. You can either say, God is nowhere, or like Jacob, you can look at your surroundings with new eyes, and put a hyphen between the word nowhere and change it to God is now here. On what basis? On the basis of grace. Now Jacob realizes God is in this certain place. It now becomes an awesome place. Maybe the place you're at right now spiritually is a certain place. Maybe the circumstances are getting the best of you and you want to move on to an awesome place with God. Here's the thing, though. Did God make Jacob's circumstances better before he realized that God was with him? No. If anything, they got worse. You see, God is not in the business of just changing our circumstances. He is in the business of changing us. He's more concerned about our holiness than our happiness. Now listen to Genesis 28:18. It says, so Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on its top. That tells us that Jacob took his rock pillow and now made an altar out of it. The rock pillow that was a symbol of hardship now becomes a symbol of worship. Jacob's eyes that were blinded by blessings are now opened by oppression. This is the first of many struggles in Jacob's life that will serve to strengthen his faith. I wonder if we were to take a silent poll in the room this morning, how many of us would confidently announce that we have no deceit? I don't know about you, but sometimes my heart seems very deceitful to me. That's the great thing about the Lord. He knows who we are, and like Jacob, he can still use us to do tremendous things in his kingdom. 
in closing, I can relate to Jacob. And since I'm not going to live long enough to ever get back to the book of Genesis, there's a great lesson here I want us to see. The next scene in Jacob's life is he will be wrestling with a mysterious stranger that we know now is actually the Lord. He finally faced the fight that he avoided all his life. Like Jonah and so many others in Scripture, his lesson is you can't run away from God. This is where the scheming, the fear, and the flight comes to an end and the blessings begin. Every good thing is possible, but not without a fight. Gerald Sitzer, a professor at Whitworth College in Spokane, Washington, was with some members of, the fa- of his family when the minivan they were driving was struck by a drunk driver. In that accident, he lost three generations. He lost his mother, he lost his wife, and he lost his young daughter. Gerald was somehow able to walk away uninjured, but it seemed like anything but a blessing. He wrote a book about what he went through entitled, A Grace Disguised. Reflecting on a line from the poet Robert Frost, he tells us the path of blessing is not around, but through. He puts it this way. The quickest way for someone to reach the sun in the light of the day is not to run west chasing after the setting sun, but to head east plunging into darkness until one comes to the sunrise. When we hear that, it sounds strange to our ears, doesn't it? Instead of running west, just plunge into the darkness. That's counterintuitive. If you even think about it, your instincts rebel. We avoid desperation, simply hoping it will clear up by itself and wait for the darkness to lighten. But what if the desperation is actually grace disguised? What if fighting your way through the darkness is the path to the blessing? The quickest way through the desperation may well be to embrace it by plunging into it and fighting your way through the darkness. In the Genesis Genesis account, God asked Jacob, what's your name? Well, obviously God knows the answer to that. He's God after all. You never hear God calling people buddy, pal, bro, or dude because he forgot their name. But anyway, Jacob doesn't answer the question, why? I think I know. I think he's ashamed of his name. He knows what his name means. Cheater, scoundrel, manipulator, conniver. But God changes his name to something beautiful. Israel, which means strives with God. The name is exclusively his, but he had to fight to receive it. But it is his name, his achievement, his future, and his blessing. So here's a question. What exactly did Jacob do to receive this blessing? I would say his big accomplishment that night was not giving up. He just kept wrestling. He hung on to God and refused to let go. And just like that, God does not want to leave you like you were before the addiction or the affair or the abuse or the diagnosis or the failure. He wants to bless you and introduce you to a whole new world of meaning and opportunity. But sometimes you have to fight through the night to get to that blessing. God does not come to us in spite of our brokenness. God comes to us because of our brokenness.
When you don't give up, there's a blessing for you on the other side. But that does not mean you won't have a limp. Jacob wrestles with God and he comes out of the match both blessed and broken. He has a limp he's going to have to live with. But the limp is a reminder of the blessing. He has a scar now, but when he sees it, he remembers the struggle and the blessing that came out of that. Maybe you can look at a time back in your life when you were ready to call it quits. But instead of quitting, you turned to God and fought through it. Now, in hindsight, you would never want to have to go through that again. But you are thankful that you did. If you know someone who has an obvious scar or a friend with a bad knee or a bum shoulder, ask them what happened and you will be rewarded with a story. Can you imagine the story that Jacob was able to tell? Hey Jacob, why do you walk so funny? Well, I'll tell you how it happened. I got in a wrestling match with God and we fought all night. I refused to give up until he blessed me. I bet Jacob told that story at every family gathering, every class reunion, and every office party. No matter what story somebody else came up with, Jacob always had one that would top it. Kids, have I ever told you about the time that I wrestled with God? It was late at night and the woods were silent. Maybe the grandkids rolled their eyes. Here we go again, the wrestling story. Whether they admitted it or not, I bet they loved it. Because if they lived long enough, they would find out that was their story also. Because it's a story about redemption. A story of darkness giving way to dawn, a curse giving way to blessing, and a wound. It was actually the healing. If you've run until you're exhausted and you have nowhere else to turn, Jacob has a story for you and it ends this way. Stop running. Don't take another step because you are running away from your blessing. Take hold of it now. Fight for it and never give up. Lord, that is my prayer starting with me and for everyone in this room that we would accept your hand upon our lives regardless of what that means that makes us more holy and more righteous. For that is the joyful and the life that is truly life and the only way to live. Work in us, O oh God. We need you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This being the first Sunday, we'll be having communion. Ask Elder Haynes to come up. When you're ready, please come up and take the elements and take them back to your seat, and we'll take them together.